Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and the reasons it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that could impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deeper look into a financial planning topic to help you understand the details. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to submit a question to the show. So if you'd like to submit a question, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll find a place where you can submit a question. Then I'll be in contact with you, make sure I have all the information that I need, and then craft an answer that can be educational for the listeners. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market and economic update, and this is for the week that ended Friday the 13th, March 13th, 2020. And Friday the 13th, per se, had a very good ending in the stock market, but in a world that is otherwise very disturbing right now. For the week last week, the Dow went down a little over 10%. The S&P 500 went down 8 and 3 quarters. The Nasdaq went down a little over 8 Gold also went down 8. Oil went up 2.88%, but remember that's after the big crash that had already occurred in oil that we talked about last week. And the 10-year Treasury is in a very funny place right now because just yesterday, now I am taping this on March 16th, which is Monday, it's Monday morning, And last night, unexpectedly, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates again, having the target rate now cut to 0% to one quarter percent for the 10-year Treasury. Now, what you need to know about that is... The Federal Reserve gave an interview afterwards. Um, Jerome Powell talked afterwards about what he thought was going on. And someone asked him specifically, did he anticipate rates going to below zero, as has happened in some European countries back when they were having so many financial stresses just a few years ago? And right now, the Federal Reserve says they have no intention at all of lowering rates to less than zero. Now, what that means is you would actually have to pay money to have your cash in a government security. So to have the, to have the peace of mind of being in a government security, you would have to pay the government to be allowed to do that. That could theoretically trickle down to having to pay a bank for having the security of FDIC insurance. And that will create a financial crisis 
and a lack of confidence that's even greater where they are right now. Now, fortunately for the Fed, lowering interest rates is not the only tool in the box. And the other thing that they announced was by buying back treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities out of the market. Here's a part of the Fed nobody talks about because you get really in the weeds, but you can't understand that there are more tools unless you understand this. Raising and lowering rates is only one thing that the Fed does to stimulate the economy. They also buy and sell treasuries. So when they buy treasuries, they take the treasury notes in, and because they bought them, they put cash into the market. This improves market liquidity, specifically bank liquidity, fixed income liquidity. And if it looks like credit markets are getting tight, when the Fed buys back the treasuries, they're helping to solve that. And the, the Fed can buy a lot of treasuries. They bought $500 billion or announced that they will be buying $500 billion yesterday. And in addition to that, they're buying $200 billion mortgage-backed securities. And that puts money back into the market again. When money dries up, the lending side of the world just freezes to a halt. If you haven't really looked again in the weeds in 2008, in 2008, we didn't have a stock market crisis per se. We had a crisis in the credit markets, in the lending markets, which led to a stock market drop. And so, they don't want that to happen again this time, not really starting from the credit markets, but from starting from the virus that's stopping people from doing anything, including stopping business activity. And when everything stops happening, things begin to seize up. So the goal here is that by buying back a total of $700 billion of notes and securities, they will keep that from happening. They're also going to do some overnight and term note repurchase agreement operations, which means that, again, they're buying things that typically trade overnight. I know it doesn't sound like that's a long trade, but when credit markets freeze up, that's when you'll really start seeing weird things happen and the overnight rate where things are traded back and forth between banks will freeze up. And by purchasing that, again, they're greasing the wheels. They're adding liquidity to the system. Now, it's interesting to note that for this unexpected movement, everyone voted in favor of it except for one member, and that one member, the only thing they were opposed to was they didn't want to cut rates completely to zero. They wanted to leave the rates a little higher than that. So the Fed is totally on board on this. You know, the biggest problem is Federal Reserve actions don't create a coronavirus vaccine. But I'm hoping that the liquidity to the system will work. I'm hoping that adding things in 
trying to keep everybody from panicking as much as they currently are will stop some of this really nauseating market action. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And there isn't a lot of legislative news to talk about this week. There is obviously legislation that is being passed, trying to find ways to protect workers who suddenly find themselves being laid off to try to provide better sick leave. Some of the larger package is still in negotiation as of Monday morning, so you may want to keep up with the media sources yourself and see what actually winds up passing. The only real proposed very much within the financial realm um, package that I have to talk about is the possibility that um, the president wants to cut payroll taxes for the end of the year. Now, that is that would cause you, when you had a job, to not have to pay Social Security tax, which is 6.2%, and Medicare tax, which is 1.45%, and that would increase your income by about 7.5%. It's not likely that this proposal is going to go very far. It doesn't really have support from Democrats or Republicans, because when you don't pay the payroll taxes, you put a greater strain on the Social Security and Medicare system because they're already underfunded and not funding them until the end of the year might be an issue. The second problem is it assumes that you have a job. And one of the biggest problems that we have right now is people who are laid off because, you know, in entire states, the restaurants are closed. So anyone working in the food services industry in that state doesn't have a job until this is over. Well, it doesn't help to cut your payroll taxes if you don't have a paycheck coming in. So it just sort of remains to be seen how this is going to go. I am more hopeful right now about the bipartisan legislation being negotiated by Speaker Pelosi and um, Steve Mnuchin, who has been talked about on this show before, but he's really doing a very good job right now trying to put together a financial stimulus package, an economic stimulus package to help the workers who are being just crushed right now with everything being closed down. So as more news of that comes out, you know, I'll talk about it on the show, but it almost seems like there needs to be an hourly show right now with how fast everything breaks. I think that it's important to stay informed yourself, but then once you're informed, this is just my advice, turn the TV off, turn it on two or three times a day if you want to know what's going on. But 24-7 of bad news is really depressing. So if you have the opportunity and you can go outside without being around a lot of other people, that's a great thing to do. If you have to stay inside, this is a good time to download that book you always wanted to read or do that project in the house you always wanted to do or play a game with the kids. But protect your own mental health because that's very important. People are stressed out of their minds. The market, as we know it, will come back. I don't know when, and I don't know how much worse it's going to get. 
But the most important thing for you is to take care of yourself. So when we're on the other side of this, and we will be, you'll be okay. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today I want to talk about risk and return in your portfolio. And although this isn't the Ask Peggy segment, I cannot tell you how many times last week I had people ask me what I thought they should do with their investment portfolio. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I'm not sure what to tell people. I feel as though it's almost malpractice to be incredibly cheery and say, oh, don't worry, it will be fine. I also think it's almost malpractice if I am doom and gloom and say, wow, it's the zombie apocalypse, it's never going to get better. Additionally, I found that extreme reactions are rarely the right answer. So I want to talk to you today a little bit about putting together a portfolio. This is a little similar to what we talked about last week in the Plan Your Prosperity segment, but kind of taking a different angle on it today. And it seems really to be the only topic anybody cares about right now. Remember, when you're putting together an investment portfolio, you're trying to always consider the length of time you will have before you need money. So how long can this money be invested before you have a financial before you have a financial need? That way, if something goes wrong, can you weather it? So in a perfect world, I hope that your portfolio is put together in a way that has a risk tolerance level equal to, um, equal to your time horizon. Let's assume for a minute you don't. <laughs> okay, it's, you know, I, I always get a little irritated when we're in the middle of a storm like this, and then people on the radio, people on the news are saying, well, you know you should have, and it's like, yeah, but I didn't, so what do I do now? What I want you to do now if you've screwed up your time horizon and you've screwed up your risk tolerance and you have an income need or a distribution need out of this money, I want you to look at the asset allocation. And I want you to look at the stock side and I want you to look at the bond side. And now there's a decision you have to make and I want you to make this with your financial planner. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I want to tell you the question. The question is, do you think it's going to get a lot worse from here? And how long is it going to take it to recover? When you sell stock, you lose the ability to rebound. And although I don't know when this is going to end, and obviously the longer it's going and the worse it's getting, the longer the recovery is going to take. I mean, that's not really going very far out on a limb. At the same time, we've had a tremendous market drop, and I don't know where the bottom is. So necessarily selling equities might not be the right decision. You guys need to talk about it. On the other hand, you may have fixed income 
or money market or something that hasn't gone down as much. Would you want to take the distribution from that part of it? Again, I'm not going to answer that question. I just want to give you the question. Because if you take the distribution from that, you leave the stock in place to rebound. So if you need to make a decision, that's how you need to look at it. And ideally then, when this ends, and as I said in the last section, this will end. You can do a rebalancing to a more appropriate risk tolerance level and hopefully avoid at least some of this pain in the next weird thing that happens. Now, the other thing that people are asking me is, I don't want to take risk, but I still want to earn a return. And let me remind you that you earn a return because you take risk. And then people say, but I heard about a variable annuity that has a guarantee. And yes, those products exist. And especially with the market doing what it's doing right now, one, I don't give advice on this show, and two, I am really not going to give you advice today. But again, I'm going to give you some things to consider as you're trying to decide whether or not that guaranteed annuity makes sense for you. Remember, first of all, that there are annual fees that go against the rate of return. And so you need to look to make sure when you break all those fees out and you look at the guaranteed rate that it really makes sense because sometimes the cost can be high. Additionally, if you purchase the annuity today, you're going to go into a surrender period in that surrender period, if you need access to the money during that point in time, you lose money. So it's like a seven-year surrender period. I've seen 10-year surrender periods. And if you have to get money out during that period of time, you're limited each year as to what you can withdraw. So you need to look at your own cash flow situation. If you get into this situation, if you buy the annuity and you're in the surrender period and you cannot access as much money as you might think you could, ask what that dollar amount is. Does it make sense? Can you live with that little of a distribution coming out? And again, you're the only one who can answer it. And remember finally, that these products are created to guarantee that the person who creates the product makes money. That's not a bad thing. Okay, I don't do what I do for free. I don't know any financial planner who's operating a free practice. Even the not-for-profits that are providing free advice are getting paid through a grant or something. Nobody works for free but it's really important to be sure that you look at the whole thing. And if you have a financial planner, in addition to your um, agent who is wanting to sell the annuity, or if your agent is a financial planner, you need to do a cash flow analysis to make sure that the growth rate of the guaranteed rate will work for you. 
you need to look at whether or not it gives you enough money. And then I just think it's always important to know what the person selling a product is getting paid for it. So I always end every conversation when I'm buying something with, what are you making? And when I'm working with clients, I explain my compensation. Okay, so I think it's really important that all of that be disclosed. And the guaranteed rate they're offering you is less than they think they can earn because otherwise they couldn't make money. Now, if everything in your portfolio is as it should be, Remember that this is part of the risk that we take. Now, in my next section, in the Ask Peggy section, I'm going to talk about what a black swan is, because no doubt we're in a black swan situation right now. But I hope that you've put together your stocks and your bonds in a way that works. I hope you have enough cash set back that you can function in a way that works. You always will take risk to earn return. If you're losing your mind right now, don't think either or. Don't think, I'm going to go sell all my stocks. Think about what you could do if you can't do this to take risk off the table in a way that maintains some market exposure for the rebound or... If you're going to get totally out, you need to figure out where the crystal ball is so you can get back in at the right time. I know people who sold out in the dot-com crash who still won't buy technology. I know people who sold out in 2008 and it took them 10 years to get back in the market. If you do sell, and I am not advocating that you take this strategy, you must have a plan in place. If you're working with a financial professional, create that plan. Because otherwise, what happens is your panic about the situation just becomes huge in your head. And when you look back on these days, <laughs> not going to look better than you thought. Every year that passes, this is going to actually look worse. So you must have a way not to let your financial life get completely derailed. If you're diversified, if you have some time, it is 100% my belief that this will come back. If it doesn't come back, we have another problem. But it came back from 2008, and the fixed income side does not appear to be worse than that. It does not appear that the whole system is coming off of its wheels. But you need to decide if you're going to take a major action how are you going to get back in and what is your criteria going to be? Because I don't want 10 years from now when this is nothing but a memory to have you still in cash and uncertain what to do and really taking your financial plan to a place you don't want it to be. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Remember, if you would like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you'll see the box on the home screen where you can submit a question. 
You may also notice that that defaults to PeggyDoviak.com, but that's much harder for people to remember when they're riding in their car and listening to this on the radio. So Ask Peggy is a much easier way to remember the name of the website. But on that website, it gives my blog and it gives um, information, any speaking engagements I have when books are coming out. So if you're interested in learning just a little bit about what I do in personal finance and finding out a little bit about me, it's a fun place to go. And if you're quarantined for two weeks, it's not a bad way to kill just a little bit of time. So go to askpeggy.com and while you're there, send me a question. So, this week's question is actually pulled from questions that I get, and I wanted to talk about black swan events. I have clients and readers and listeners who don't understand it. So, a very common question I'm asked is, Peggy, what is a black swan event? And The story behind how we got the term black swan is really creepy. Okay, so there's a Wall Street trader, he's a professor, he's a writer, really, really smart guy named Nassim Nicholas Tlaib. That's T-A-L-E-B. And if you're bored, you might go and look at some of the books that he's written. In 2007, he coined the phrase black swan event. And what's interesting about that is he did it before the 2008 financial crisis. And Tlaib is talking about those events that upend the market. They're not seen, they're not expected, and they're so far off everybody's radar that everything turns upside down. Just like it's hard to see a black swan in real life, black swan market events are those things that happen when you absolutely aren't expecting them. And Tlaib's argument in his book is to remember that black swan events are always possible, and he uses it as a thing when you're trying to create your risk tolerance level to make sure that you always have somewhere in the back of your mind the idea that the unexpected could happen. So there's three characteristics of a black swan event that he uses. He says, number one, it's beyond normal expectation, It's rare, and it's so rare, you may not have even considered the possibility it could happen. Number two, when it does happen, the impact is absolutely catastrophic. And number three, when people talk about it afterwards, they talk about it as though you should have been able to see it coming when, in fact, you most likely could not. So, here's the depressing part about black swan events. You can't see them coming. I don't think anyone would have anticipated at the beginning of the flu season last fall that there would be a disease that would have Catholic churches not holding mass during Lent, entire states not letting people go to restaurants, You know, the whole nation of France saying, we're we're closing the bistros. It's unimaginable. 
And so as a result, none of us imagined it. You know, maybe people had concerns about 2020 for various reasons, maybe the election, maybe a number of things, but a global pandemic wasn't on anybody's radar. The results are catastrophic. And it will be curious to see in hindsight what people try to do to suggest this could have been predicted. The truth of the matter is this couldn't have been predicted. And so be very careful listening to people who will tell you they had the secret way of seeing it coming. Because what, five weeks ago, markets were setting all-time highs. Now, a lot of people thought there would be a pullback in 2020 because of the elections. That's not news. But anticipating something that would change life was not on people's radars. Therefore, create risk tolerance levels that have at least an idea that something awful can go wrong. Have a great week. See you next time. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.